0: Well. Usain Bolt spreading ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record: nine point six eight. The wind is okay. How easy was that?
1: Welcome back to Off the Podium for our first new episode in a couple of months, maybe a month or two. Uh, first one since the announcement of the postponement of the Tokyo Olympics and. We thought we'd have nothing to cover for the rest of this year, but instead we're deciding we're going to line up a bunch of interviews for you over the next couple of months to fill the gap of the Tokyo Olympics being postponed. And we have almost a dream interview here to kick it off as we're talking to Canadian Olympic gold medalist John Montgomery who won the uh, Skeleton back in 2010, but uh, since has gone on to become even more famous as the host of the Amazing Race Canada. And this is an interview that was too big to have just on one podcast. So just to explain a little bit, this is one interview we recorded with John. But if you listen to this interview here on Off the Podium, you're going to hear his full Olympic story and a little bit about his Amazing Race career. And if you were to listen over on our sister show, The Oz Network, you're going to hear more of his Amazing Race race story, and uh, still some of the Olympic stuff in here, but uh, we're basically breaking this up into two separate interviews so you can get the full story on John on both shows. And as I said, this is the first of a series of interviews we're going to have lined up. We have a ton of athletes that we're going to be speaking to over the next couple of weeks, maybe a couple months. We'll see how long this goes on for. Uh, we I don't think we've had athlete interviews since 2018, and I couldn't think of anyone better that we could actually kick this off with than John Montgomery. You will hear a tease during this interview about one of the athletes that we're going to be speaking to coming up maybe in a couple of weeks but if you stay tuned all the way to the end of the episode today we will tease who next week's interview is going to be who's another really big one that I'm very excited about so without further ado let's get into it here is the interview with John Montgomery John Montgomery, host of Amazing Race Canada and gold medalist from Vancouver Olympics and Skeleton. Welcome to both the Oz Network and Off the Podium, an interview so big we couldn't contain it just to one podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Well,
2: it's nice to be welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: Now, uh, I think this is interesting because, you know, you obviously are probably more well known now for the host of amazing race Canada. But, uh, you know, once upon a time, 10 years ago, Vancouver, you were making your Olympics debut in a sport called skeleton, which might be the single most insane looking sport on television I've ever seen. Uh, you know, I have to ask, you know, how you got into skeleton in the first place Were you big into sports growing up. And then how does somebody who's actually from Manitoba as well, get into a sport like skeleton?
2: Well, optically, I I, I would have to agree that uh, it does appear that those who are participating in the sport are perhaps a bit daft. Uh, I'll say that about the sport in terms of how it looks. In in reality, it's pretty controlled. You know, you're going down a serpentine chute that only goes the direction that it goes. There's no left-hand turns. There's no 90-degree rights. You don't have to really... Decide where you're going. Gravity's is going to pull you down that serpentine chute the way that it wants to, but you do have to navigate it efficiently and effectively to be able to, well, of course, get fast times and get down relatively unscathed. Mm. But uh, a boy from Manitoba gets involved through aspirations and inspiration. I aspired to be a Canadian team athlete in something, anything that would have me, and I was inspired by actually witnessing a race live in Calgary, and it wasn't uh, long after the 2002 Winter Olympic Games had just concluded. I saw my homeboy Theo Fleury win a gold medal with the men's hockey team.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I saw Saleh and Pelcian get ripped off in Salt Lake City. <laughs> I saw all the amazingness, like our women's hockey teams clutching gold medals, uh, and I was, I was looking for something, something that might host a guy like me to be able to uh, dream big and see those dreams played out on the world's largest sporting stage that is the Olympics and uh, I recognized skeleton could be a pathway to mm. to that uh, realization and so I, I pursued it with everything that I had.
1: Two things. First, you know, we're, we're actually, fingers crossed, going to have Jamie uh, Saleh on our um, uh, Olympics podcast off the podium in a couple of weeks so we're going to have to let her awesome. know she was an inspiration for John Montgomery. Um secondly you know every athlete we interview on here I'm always waiting for that answer of you know I wanted to be on the biggest stage I wanted to be an Olympian and typically you just get you know what I fell into the sport and I just turned out to be good at it so I mean you might be the first person we've had on here from any country who said yeah I wanted to be an Olympian
2: <laughs> well I think that's how people find themselves in these periphery sports if you will the ones that aren't your general conduit like people grow up skiing and become great skiers people grow up playing hockey and then by virtue of incredible work ethic uh some raw talent um some nurturing in nature they end up at the olympics uh via professional hockey whereas quite often especially in sliding sports uh, we refer to them as post-secondary sports because you are recruited from something else uh, invariably to be able to apply what you used to do to a new metric that is uh, something special most people don't do, like push a bobsled or learn to drive a skeleton sled Mm -hmm. or a luge sled. Luge isn't necessarily the same because those usually start out quite young, but uh, bobsledders and skeleton athletes, you have to be 16 years old. Most of them get into the sport when they're in their early 20s after university or college. And then they continue to uh, chase that Olympic dream. So uh, I might be fair in the whole cosmic scheme of uh, Olympics, but in the sliding world, I am uh, every bit as normal a creation story as the next guy.
1: Were there any thoughts that you had about, you know, if if skeleton doesn't work out? Like you said, you saw the skeleton race, but if that didn't work out, would you have gone for something like lose your bobsled?
2: You know what finding the age finding the sport at the age of 22 limited my ability to i guess find another vehicle should skeleton not uh, you know prove out in the numbers and i was basically going all in and i think unless you go in all in there's always going to be some element of hold back some element of not going for it knowing that well I, i'll try this if this doesn't work but when there is no backup plan Quite often you hear people uh, making it in music. They don't have a backup plan. Mm-hmm. It is just this. They're, they're not uh, noodling on what I'll do, uh, taking energy away from what they need to do to make it. And if you're thinking about what I could do if this doesn't work, you, you know, you're, you're dividing yourself. Mm-hmm. You are uh, a being of limited energies. Uh, well, some people say... Uh, unlimited energies, but uh, you have limited resources and time being one of them. And if you are wasting time thinking about things that aren't getting you closer to your goal that you are envisioning for yourself, you're taking away from that. And so there was no really mm. other option for me if I'm being honest. And I and I wasn't thinking about it in that concept. I was looking at it as now is the time for me to do this one thing. I can't do it when I'm 60. I can't do it when I'm 50. I can only do it now. And so that gave me the, I guess, capacity and the the, the free path to not focus on what my peers were doing at that time, which was advancement of their careers, which was beginning to think about building a family. And I put all that, uh, you know, on the back burner. I had to be selfish in the moment, which was my 20s, to find something that I will always look back upon fondly, and and people say, sure, that's easy because you had, you know, you you achieved a level of success, uh, what you were planning, what you were striving for. What happens when you don't achieve that? And I don't think it's about whether or not you win gold at the end of the day or not. I think it's about striving. I think it's about the journey, about the process, about the discovery that's really where you find growth. Mm. That's really where you find the development in an individual. It, it's through that trials and tribulations, the the untold amount of hours of practice and the the failing uh, and the repeated fail, failure. Because you only, you know, people only think about, you know, Michael Jordan's game-winning buzzer shots or Babe Ruth's uh, epic home run tally, mm. but they don't go to look at how many Michael Jordan missed. They don't go and look at the details of how many times Babe Ruth struck out. Yeah. Giving him the capacity to be clutch in those moments that truly mattered. And that's what people remember. They don't remember the failures. Uh, they do remember these sweet victories. But at the end of the day, when you ask this person, uh, Michael Jordan or Babe Ruth, where they developed the capacity to be clutch? It was in moments of failure. Yeah. And, and that's where we realize growth and development. What we have to do next time to be Michael Jordan in the moment to be Babe Ruth at the plate and uh, not failing but rather being victorious it's it's through the constant failure and uh, and that's really I guess <laughs> the journey yeah.
1: yeah and obviously you you Succeeded. I mean, you made your way, you know, onto the Olympic team. Um, about six or seven months ago, I actually, I met you briefly in person here because uh, you were here in my hometown, Winnipeg. And uh, like you said, That's your right. home province. Uh, just by freak luck, we had a massive windstorm. And every year when there's the big Christmas tree lighting ceremony, it's outdoors. You know, I've got a three-year-old and twins who are less than a year old. I'm like, there's no way we're going outside. But when oh I... My well, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Your condolences. <laughs>
2: Well, uh, you get quick yeah. failure because every day when you're raising children, you're failing constantly. But you hope that your victories as a parent uh, add up to be greater than the sum total of your daily losses. But yeah, uh, that's life in a, in a sort of microcosm, right there, brother. Yeah,
1: and, I mean, and victory for me was, yeah, hey, we're moving the Christmas tree lighting ceremony indoors, and hey, John Montgomery's <laughs> yeah. going to be there. <laughs> so had the opportunity, and, and when you were uh, doing the the lighting ceremony, you you told the story about when you first found out that you were making the team. you wanted to share a little bit of that here? True. Well,
2: I remember exactly where I was. Goosebumps right there. You, um, yeah. you mentioned a part of my history, which is but a memory. And to it is still connected emotion, still connected energy. And when I think about it, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. I'm, I'm sitting on the roof of the East Parkade. Uh, I'm not sure which big uh, department store is up on top of that roof. Uh, at any rate, uh, it's one of the entrances to the mall on the east side there on top of the parkade. And I was there when I received a phone call from, at the time, the director of Bobsleigh Canada Skeleton, inquiring as to whether or not I'd like to come to an early driving school. I had previously, that winter, this was 2002, um, done a Discover Skeleton class, like I said, one week after the 2002 Winter Olympic Games had just concluded. Mm. And I did four runs that night, never did any more sliding that Season uh, the ice was gone. It was the end of the season, February twenty eighth. Uh, the uh, the ice comes out in March or so, and I was thinking all summer long about this sport that I was going to, as far as I was concerned, get involved in. I just didn't know how to get involved. I didn't know the the pathway. I didn't know the structure, of the system. I didn't know anything about it other than I really enjoyed this experience that I'd had doing four runs: from two from the middle of the track, from the track, and two from the start of ladies' luge start, and. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I was beginning to structure my life. I was beginning to train uh, my lower chain. I was doing only upper body training at that time, trying to look better in a t-shirt, <laughs> bicep uh, curls and bench press, that type of stuff, walking around like a chicken. Uh, that That's you know saying that I had a large upper body, which is also a gross overestimation, uh, but you get the picture. I wasn't doing any squats at that time, so I was beginning to try and think about how to engage my lower chain, my glutes, my quads, my core, that kind of stuff, to be this skeleton athlete. And I got this phone call, and that basically changed the trajectory of my life. I said yes. Uh, I didn't know what I was signing up for, but I went to that early talent ID camp. I did get an invite to the early driving school. I did uh, get my license that winter and begin my journey as a skeleton athlete, which was uh, crippling and painful. I was the worst of all the new recruits. Wow. I was getting my ass handed to me on a <laughs> on a daily basis, getting beat down by that track in Calgary. And it would be two years before I would realize a rate of development within the sport that I could be proud of, happy with, uh, that would motivate me to continue to slide, because up till that point it was better. It was essentially uh, battling attrition, and all the athletes were dropping off one by one. I'd say of twenty new recruits that came out with me that first year, I ended up participating in sliding with one or two uh, at the end of our career, and uh, you were basically just hanging on and. Taking your lumps because mm-hmm. it was unlike anything else that we'd ever done in our life up till that point. And I group all of us collectively in that group because if you think about it, how can you have a previous life experience to draw upon to be able to understand what it's like to do skeleton racing, laying in the prone position, experiencing G forces uh, in excess of five? That's sustained instantaneous G forces of over 100 Gs when you smash your face into the ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the sustained G-forces of being over five is is or space shuttle type uh, G-forces. Granted, they sustain that for minutes at a time, but uh, we're just doing it for seconds. At any rate, it, you can't appreciate this force, this dynamic uh, nature of the sport, until you actually participate in it. And having watched on a sled, uh, doing a virtual demonstration or anything, is not like actually practicing and the only way that you can get better is to sadly get beat up in yeah. most people's cases find themselves taking to it a little quicker than others i was not <laughs> individual
1: <laughs> but i mean you eventually made your way there i mean your, your olympic debut was in vancouver so home soil i mean i can't imagine also the, just the pressure any olympic athlete would have but i would think especially in vancouver you know a it being home soil b the own the podium uh, campaign or whatever it was to really have Canada come out on top must have put a lot of pressure as well. And even just in your sports skeleton, I mean, coming off of Turin, that was one of the sports that Canada had the most success in. Was it like three medals the previous Olympics? It was. Yeah, did you feel a lot of pressure to live up to that? Or or were you even expecting to medal when you were in Vancouver?
2: I fully expected to have the capacity to be my best. What that Weighed out in terms of uh, medals or uh, or placings was yet to be determined. That was up to other people, but I did truly believe that I could be at my best on the day that mattered most. And I suppose if I had of internalized all those things that you just mentioned, it would have been stifling. That would have seemed insurmountable in terms of pressure. But I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I wasn't factoring in that that type of a of a narrative in my in my head. I was looking at the. Canadian interest, that support. I, I viewed Canada's madness for the Games at that time, uh, Canada's sort of unquenchable thirst for all things Olympic in terms of the, well, the news media coverage, uh, the own-the-podium rhetoric, all of this stuff wasn't anything that I internalized as pressure to perform. I viewed it as undying support for the Canadian athletes. And if you want to, I guess, be energized by something consider it support Uh, look at other people's interest as energies that you can feed off of. Mm -hmm. And and I did, and I chose to imbibe myself with a sense of vigor and purpose because of other people's interest. Uh, and I, and I did think to myself that, you know, these people that want so badly for us to achieve success also realize most of them, in our nature that we are humans, that we are subject to brain farts and failure and not being on our best day that matters most in spite of our best efforts. And I thought that folks could see that if I did fall miserably on my face. I didn't focus Mm -hmm. on what that might look like, feel like, I didn't need to put it out there, but I did constantly visualize what execution looked like for me, for not having speed that I'd never achieved and sort of, uh, hoping on a whim that I could be in do something that I'd never done, never been really had no hopes of achieving. I was continually focused on all those things that I could control the execution of my game plan being as fast as I could be, but never once dwelling on the outcome itself, hoping, mm-hmm. uh, putting out there, picturing, uh, ideating all these things, but never dwelling. And, and I think that my ability to silo some of these things to, have a point of reference the way that I did allowed me to insulate myself from feelings of utter doom and gloom uh, scenarios uh, or feeling the weighty nature of other people's expectations being placed upon my shoulders. Uh, Only I can place that burden upon myself. Other people can't do it unless you let them, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so I had a healthy perspective. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why it was there. it's not like I put tons of effort into developing this mindset or rhetoric, but I guess I put value in what really smart people had told me and didn't think about it. I, I just took their, took them at their word that if I focus on this, uh, all things will, you know, be much more achievable. And, uh, I, I didn't dwell on it. And I, I guess this, time that's passed between 2010 and now, it's 10 years, it's a decade of uh, thought, reflection, and introspection, has allowed me to maybe peel back some of the layers of this complex onion that is uh, the recipe for success and attribute some of these things just by virtue of the fact that I was lucky yeah. um, and that I didn't overthink these things. But there is so much truth in these small nuggets, these uh, the rhetoric. That stuff that we say time and time again and and they're clichés really because they they hold value uh, and they resonate with people on on real tangible levels.
1: What I think clicked with you for at least the Canadian public, I mean, A, you know, it was a bit of a drought. I mean, we had some gold medals in that first week there. You know, Alex Bilodeau, obviously the big one, but it was much slower first week than it was the second week. And then, when you win the gold, I think it was your celebration, your 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 excitement for winning, which was really unlike anything you know any of the other gold medalists we'd seen had done. You know, it really helped. I guess you to stand out among the public, and I'm sure that that is part of what led to, you know, whether it was an offer or not for you to join amazing race, Canada, you know, <laughs> uh, d- did you get a lot of, uh, recognition, you know, just for the celebration and for the excitement you experienced when you won? I don't know if it's uh,
2: recognition, uh, so much as, um, folks appreciated it. And I think that what they could appreciate was they could see themselves in that moment because of the way, um, that I reacted, the authenticity, perhaps of the moment, the, um, well, the the uh, the cultural perhaps uh, reference of imbibing with uh, with a spirit or a beverage of your choosing in Canada. <laughs> if you drink beer in front of the masses, you're going to endear yourself to Canadians because Canadians love to drink beer mm. and they love to do it in large groups. And so, if you put yourself uh, amongst your peers, and uh, what they are. Uh, I'm an average Joe, and I drink beer like the average Canadian, and now they can perhaps see themselves as rocketing down a mountain face first on a cafeteria tray with rails at 146 <laughs> kilometers per hour while pulling 5G of pressure because they couldn't previously see themselves doing it. <laughs> now they can. Hey, look at this dummy. He's just like yeah. me. Hey, I, I could be an Olympic gold medalist. I like this guy. Um, that, I think, is some of the... Uh, the connective tissue mm-hmm. that maybe endeared me to uh, a portion of the Canadian population uh, that otherwise it would have just been another uh, tally for our medal count. But there was something that stood out, perhaps, uh, with the unbridled nature of uh, an enthusiasm, was something that I couldn't ever have expected or hoped to hide, just being sort of a live wire kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did have to apologize to Martins afterwards, and, you know, to the day, I will always say that celebrating when somebody else loses isn't a good look. Mm -hmm. It's simply not, and I wish I could have been more stoic, uh, but that's only rhetoric, too. I mean, I don't wish anything different, but you do owe an apology when you're a little overzealous in celebration when somebody else loses, and I did owe him that, but I wouldn't have Mm -hmm. changed how I was honest in my enthusiasm, because... I mean you got to be real man and yeah. uh, trying to be something you're not is an exercise in futility and uh, I was happy that day I owed him an apology because of that celebration would have been different had I come down and been in first place and kept first place yeah. and 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 stole and had that race from you know beginning to end on lock but I didn't I didn't have that race until the very final corner on the very final run and we did just for reference purposes 64 corners We did that track four times. Uh, There's 16 corners. That's 64 corners. That's 2 minutes and 23.7 seconds of sliding time. And it came down to 800ths of a second, the blink of an eye. The blink of an eye is longer than 800ths of a second. And after all that 6 kilometers of track, it was about half a stud length that separated me from silver. And the only place I overtook him was in the very final corner, On the very final run, and that corner is called Thunderbird, and I had two Thunderbirds emblazoned on the side of my helmet uh, in uh, indigenous design Mm. to pay respects to local legend that the Thunderbird lives up on top of Blackcomb Mountain. So wherever those energies came from, wherever uh, the good spirit uh, entered, I know it was in the final corner on the final run.
1: So then you transition into Amazing Race Canada, which funny, funny story, we had Hal Johnson on the Oz Network uh, to do a recap of Amazing Race last year. He told me about when he first heard the announcement that Amazing Race Canada was happening. He immediately contacted people at CTV and said, hey, if you, if you need a host, I'm your guy. And they said, we've already got a host, but why not audition for the show? So I'm going to assume that you were that host that they already had like were you approached to do the amazing race or is it something that you you kind of sought out i
2: didn't uh, actually hear who that person was who are you speaking of hal right. johnson oh hal johnson mm-hmm. right um well you know what i didn't i didn't know that uh, little story <laughs> um and i don't know if they had me pegged or not but they did ask me to audition mm-hmm. and i did audition and maybe that had already come in, but uh, no, I didn't know that Hal had reached out about hosting the show, but uh, (laughs) that's interesting
1: we got a couple of listener questions, too, about the Amazing Race here. One from Mark Doyle. One of the questions I think most people would have is I think the thing that differentiated you from other Amazing Race hosts from around the world is that you perform these challenges when you're introducing them. Uh, Was that like a conscious decision, we want to do something to separate you from Phil, the host of the Amazing Race U.S. version? Or is it just, you know, we got an Olympic athlete. People are going to get on his case if he doesn't do these challenges.
2: Well, I think uh, it was hopeful that i would want to do everything and that was the differentiator i think that they wanted to bring to the host role on the canadian version as opposed to phil and that was an opportunity i think that they identified right from the go was phil didn't do any of these Mm -hmm. stunts and challenges and maybe they could get the canadian race host to do them i am not forced to do anything that i don't want to do and it's really good we've got this symbiotic relationship between the producers and myself because I wouldn't actually be able to do the show without being able to take advantage of these awesome situations that they're presenting the challengers with, or the racers with, because I'd be like, no way I'm just going to talk about this stuff and not do it. You guys, doing it, damn it, we're going to slow down production, I'm trying this, and whether you capture it or not, it's up to you, but I'm not leaving here until I get to jump. And there's some stuff that gives me great cause for pause, like I'm scared of heights. I have to always work myself up to jump off the edge of a precipice, but I... I find great value in that. Uh, I like scaring myself. I like building myself up to overcome things that I deem scary. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a great sense of pride in overcoming that stuff. And so, yeah, that was, I think, the impetus. to Find a guy that would be daft enough to do all these stunts with a smile on his face. Um, They found that person in spades in me. Plus, something that I don't have to act or be put on about, which is my pride in this country like I I would talk till the cows come home about how great Canada is how lucky we are to be Canadian Uh, you know till the day that I die and so I can do this job with my eyes closed on a passion level now there's so much that I have to learn in terms of uh, delivery and the nuanced approach to being a host or a presenter but the passion part you can't fake passion Uh, it's there authentically in me, and it will be there authentically in me. Uh, Pride is at the center of everything uh, that I hold near and dear.
1: If you uh, have a minute or two here, I'd just like to go through a couple of quick-fire questions, maybe some of the listener questions here about Amazing Race. Um, The number one that we have, obviously, is the next season of amazing race Canada. obviously everything in the world sort of put on hold right now uh but are you coming back for the next season you know when it when it does happen and any word on what it could look like or any plans in the work right now
2: no clue i <laughs> uh, i show up and i try on some outfits and i say what they tell me to say and i go where they tell me to go and right now uh, they haven't told me to show up at any specific time anywhere so I am in the lurch, like everybody else, wondering what, when, where, how, mm-hmm. why. But I do know that Canadians still have uh, an incredible amount of interest in this show. Uh, mm-hmm. Broadcasters, CTV definitely is a massive fan of this show for their network. Uh, Insight Productions, they want to make it. And uh, Disney will own the franchise, I believe. Well, they're still franchising it and putting out licensing agreements. So all those things uh, considered, you can expect another version. Uh, You can expect another season. Just going to have to wait. Yeah.
1: If you were to go on the race, who would your partner be, and do you actually think you could win?
2: Based on how my wife and I navigate poorly, no. Honestly, (laughs) we couldn't win based on poor navigation skills. Um, We fight well, though, and that's that's a skill that needs to be employed. uh, Because if you're you're biting your tongue constantly, uh, you can't, you know, you can't get energy out. You can't move forward quickly enough. Uh, And so my wife and I, we fight well. We would uh, be volatile, uh, but we would make up quickly and uh, use our words constructively uh, to build each other back up and move forward collectively. Mm. Uh, So fighting well is one of those things that we would have but geographically our ability to navigate would be somewhat compromised (laughs) and i think that would be our undoing so i guess dish my wife she's my partner and no we wouldn't win because we suck at navigation
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think that would be most people's downfall to be honest (laughs) yeah yeah i do do uh, just before we go, just wanted to tell you. You know, obviously, we've been talking about you for a couple of years on multiple podcasts here, and literally right behind my corner, I will send you a picture when we're done. I have an autograph painting that I bought off of some sports trader. I'd gone in to get a Doug Gilmore rookie card, and I see this giant autograph painting of John Montgomery from the Olympics, signed right behind no. me. No, so it's it's there. No,
2: <laughs> dude, you got to go back for that Doug Gilmore rookie card. I got both. Uh... I will
1: say, I got both. <laughs> You, I'm, I'm happy about that. You're you're in the same league as Doug Gilmore, at least. They're up there. Uh, well, don't say that. Dougie is uh, he's my childhood hero. My oh. mom's last name is
2: Gilmore. So I used to go around telling people that Doug was my uncle. And, of course, nobody believed <laughs> me, but I, I just would tell them that anyway. But I have a quick funny story about that. I was in uh, in Hamilton doing an event, and I got up. And earlier that night, I signed a... It was a well-done piece of art made out of um, clay, of a mold of me carrying a pitcher of beer. And so I signed this about 30-centimeter tall clay figurine of me holding a pitcher of beer. And I was like, this is awesome. Somebody spent a month or so, and they said it took 30 days, to craft this thing. And they had to look at my picture every day, this poor soul. (laughs) Uh, And so later on that night, I was auctioning it off live at this event and I couldn't really see past the bright lights. And what happened was I ended up selling up to a person in the audience who was Doug Gilmore. He gave it wow. to me that night, and I had signed it earlier, and I said, well, this is incomplete without a Doug Gilmore signature on it. So <laughs> Doug Gilmore bought me and gave me myself. Uh, nice. But I got his autograph on it, and so now I have a picture of me with my signature and Dougie's on it, and uh, and I and I treasure that thing. So, yeah.
1: Oh, hey, you send me a picture. Not because it's me, but because uh, <laughs> it's signature, not
2: because it's
1: me. <laughs> hey, look, we had the same childhood hero. You send me a picture of that, I will send you a picture of my Doug Gilmore card in front of my painting of you. Done deal. <laughs> All right, John, we're so glad to finally have you on here, and uh, we look forward to hearing you uh, maybe call some Olympics in 2022, possibly down the road. Yeah, we'll
2: see. We'll see. Well, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I went to... Pyeongchang mm-hmm. and really enjoyed myself. Uh, the other side of the, the coin being a, a broadcaster for the Olympics was, was awesome. I will say though that being over there for those two weeks um, really by myself and probably without knowing it, really mourning the, the I guess the transition. I won't say lost, I won't say anything of the sort other than transitioning from athlete Mm-hmm. to, uh, to broadcast or to regular life, to, you know, to not being an athlete was, uh, it was depressing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I swear, like for the first time in my life, I think I know what depression felt like. And I was at the Olympics and it was in Pyeongchang and you were watching all this amazing success, the trials and tribulations of athletes unfolding. But I think I was mourning the loss or mourning the transition of my, uh, my life moving from athlete to, uh, a broadcaster, and so it was this uh, uh, really interesting, conflicting time in my life, so who knows whether or not I'll find myself in Beijing, but the experience itself of broadcasting, of being a part of the Olympics that it, from a different perspective was really rewarding mm. and fascinating and at that same moment, somewhat depressing. I will for sure be over it uh, by the time <laughs> Beijing rolls around, no doubt about it, I don't think I'll still be mourning that loss, but whenever you find yourself in a moment like that, you you reflect back to a period in your life which had such meaning. And while the meaning of tobogganing is really vapid and uh, the, 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 I guess, aspiration to find out what you can do physically is really self-serving and really selfish, mm-hmm. there's a lot of depth to it in terms of fulfillment uh, through the journey. And while the reasons might not be grandiose or, or super enlightening, there is a lot of uh, depth there in terms of meaning. And, the, and when you step away from that, trying to find that same level of connectedness in it to the purpose uh, is, is what I think lots of athletes struggle with. Mm. And, uh, and I'll have moved on from that by 2022, no doubt. But uh, I'm sure if I find myself in Beijing... It will be without that uh, bit of depression that I experienced uh, at the 2018 game.
1: Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure between Amazing Race Canada and Beijing, we're going to have you all over the TV on CBC, CTV. You just need to check off a few more networks, and you're going to be the man on all TV in Canada.
2: Well, why don't we do some of the other ones? CBC, will make it there, and uh, CTV, I don't know. Where else can we, what else could we be seeing on here? Uh, Netflix, Apple Prime, yeah. uh, Over the Top <laughs> Providers. Uh, global, we're going to get on global. You are going to be sick of Monty. Uh, but I, I think Monty in small doses is the, is the right amount. We don't need anything too Monty eyes because, well, sometimes uh, you. Small doses, right? Small
1: doses. Yeah. Absolutely. And thanks so much for joining us on both shows here today, John.
2: Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys reaching out.
1: Huge thanks to John Montgomery for joining us today. And uh, as I did mention at the beginning of the episode, if you wanted to hear more about his amazing race career, you can go over to our sister show, The Oz Network, which you find on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you can find podcasts. Just look for The Oz Network. And you're going to hear uh, the same uh, bits and pieces of the Olympics here and there, but you are going to hear more of the Amazing Race story over on our sister show. Uh, As for what else we have lined up, uh, next week we've got Canadian sprinter, track and field star Brendan Rodney, who won the bronze with Team Canada back in the Rio Olympics in the 4x100 relay. And at the time of this episode being released, we're probably still about 24 hours away from recording the episode. So if you tune in next week and there's no Brendan Rodney, then, well, it's been postponed till later in the season. Otherwise, make sure to like us on Facebook and uh, follow us on Twitter now. We started a Twitter account. Uh, I don't know why we postponed this for so many years, but we now are on a Twitter as well. And uh, make sure to subscribe to the show because I said we've got a lot of interviews lined up. We've got some really big ones, some really exciting ones. Stay tuned here, and uh, we're going to bring you tons of athletes all the way through what would be the original Tokyo Olympics. And then uh, who knows, maybe this will just go on so long that we're going to carry you all the way to the Tokyo 2021 Olympics next year. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you again to John Montgomery. And we'll see you next week. Either myself, or Ben, or Jared, or who knows, all three of us.
0: Tutti Japanese, so. To Japanese, I think I'm Japanese, I really think so. Tutti Japanese, I think Japanese, I think, Japanese, I really think so.